following program contains language and subject matter that you may consider unsuitable for children. Parental discretion is advised. Greetings, Earthling. Uh, His Highness the Jackal. The Jackal. I'm going to pass the reins to Mr. Jackal, the new king of Virginia. I think Jackal's a Latino. I'm not sure, but he'll give it to you again. The Jackal. Welcome one, welcome all, welcome friends, welcome foes, welcome ghouls, goblins, demons from other dimensions, and the ones with them as all. This is another episode of Inside the Jackal's Head, brought to you by the Angel Espino Show. I am Angel Espino, also known as the Jackal, and I am joining you on this beautiful March 26, 2022. So far, so good. So far, no bombs are dropping here in America. We're all living under a Biden oppression, sort of say, but we're surviving. Gas is up and prices are high. Morale is kind of low, but we're all surviving by the one fact that we, the people, will get over the hurdle of anything. And I just want to thank everybody who's out there listening to this show tonight. Those of you who are, you know, bored out of your mind and said, you know what, let me tune into the Jacqueline. Maybe he can bring some enlightenment to my life. I'm going to try, as I do every night, as I always try to bring you some of the greatest insight whether it be from online radio that I've heard from other uh, sources or whether it be from my personal research uh, that goes on for many, many years. As uh, some of my listeners know, I've been doing this for a very long time. In fact, I've been at this uh, little game here on online radio for about uh, 11 years now. And my 11 years of researching all kinds of things from what we're going to talk about with Stephen Mayers uh, later on tonight, which is the Great Pyramids of Egypt, to ufology, to the paranormal, to conspiracies, everything out there is always open book on this show. Why? Because I'm into all kinds of things. That's why I called this show inside the jackal's head now this is a new night normally my show has been on as everybody knows who watches or listens to my show it's been on sunday nights for the entirety pretty much of this particular podcast now given that things uh sometimes do change i was going to start my show um in april on this new night, I decided uh, last week I, you know, I really wanted to well uh, hold off to April, but I really wanted to have the guest I'm having on tonight. So I decided to start it just a little bit earlier because uh, this gentleman is going to be with uh, with me within the next hour. Is a fascinating human being, and he talks about. Uh, things that I am uh, really uh, deeply interested in. That's right, folks, the Great Pyramids. Now, I've been asked uh, many times, uh, you know, how did you get the name 
the jackal. You know, like, how did that come about, right? There's actually a kind of a deep story there on how I got this name. And I'm going to share that with you and also have a story or something that happened earlier uh, tonight to me, which is kind of amusing. Uh, but let me start off with this story. The name The Jackal was given actually to me by a friend of mine who's no longer with me or with us. Um, he passed away in the 90s, and uh, it was uh, very rough uh, dealing with it. He uh, was a close friend. Uh, we worked together, and um, he died of brain cancer. It was the first time that I dealt with cancer in my life. As you guys know, I'm dealing with thyroid, uh, hyperthyroidism, and I have uh, cancer myself at the moment. My mother passed away of cancer. And my dad survived cancer. God bless him. And you know he was very lucky to do so. Some of us are not as lucky. Uh, my friend Esteban passed away of brain cancer in uh, mid to late 90s. And uh, the, the reason I use this name, now, it, it, it has to do with multiple things. One... I'm really into Egypt. I'm into the lore of Egypt and the mythology and the great pyramids and Anubis and the gods. And that's something that's always fascinated me for many, many years. My friend Esteban at the time knew that. And, uh, you know, we would often talk about the great pyramids and all these things. And uh, at the time, we were working at a movie theater. Uh, which is no longer there, by the way. As things come, things go, right? The movie theater is uh, now, uh, well, it's uh, Home Depot, folks. Uh, but at the time, it was at AMC Theaters, and it was at the Mall of Americas here in Miami, Florida. And my friend one day walks in into the break room, and he's like, hey, Angel. And at the time, I was DJ Angel, which was very lame of a name. Uh, the reason I was DJing was because I was DJing uh, for a group called New Logic. And my friend tells me, why don't you uh, start calling yourself the Jackal? And I looked at him and I was like, huh? Now, the reason he brings it up is because he tells me, and it made perfect sense to me at the time, and it still does to this day. He said, well... Uh, you know, you've always been into the, you know, the whole mythology of aliens, uh, pyramids, all this stuff. And, you know, there's, you know, Egyptian jackals and stuff. And, you, you know, you're reading a book about Carlos the Jackal. And one person uh, who was working with me at the time was my friend Carlos Delgado. And uh, Carlos was a producer who was helping me with uh, vocals and uh, to do other things because I wanted to become more of an artist that rapped. Uh, at the time, then I wanted to be a DJ. So Esteban tells me, you know, you want to be a rapper, not a DJ. Why don't you just call yourself the Jackal or DJ Jackal or MC Jackal or something like that? And I was like, yeah, I'll think about it. You know, it sounds kind of cool. You know, maybe, you know, I'll think about it. And I kind of just left it there. I didn't think about it too much. Uh, a few months later, he gets promoted. And uh, he gets sent uh, from our store to another store. And uh, he goes up there to be a manager. 
and he went from being a supervisor where we were to a manager at this other store. One day in random, we get a call from his fiance, who he, well, at, at the time they had just gotten married, so it was his wife. But I had known her before she married him as his fiance. And uh, she tells us, uh, me and a couple other buddies at work, that he was dying of cancer and um, he had only a few weeks to live because they didn't catch it on time. And unfortunately, um, he was near death, basically. And he wanted to see us before he passed, and he completely lost his vision. He could only see out of one eye at the time. So me and a couple of buddies went to visit him and spend time with him. And as soon as I walked into the room, and like it hit me how precious life is. And I told him, um, you know, a lot of things, that, which I'm not going to cover because it was, you know, private conversations. But one of the things I, I brought up was uh, the fact that he said, why don't I call myself the Jackal? And I said, you know what, because of you, I'm going to use that moniker and I'm going to call myself the Jackal. No matter what I do, that's going to be my entertainment name, the Jackal, Angel Espino, the Jackal. Uh, it'll go one and one with each other. And uh, he started laughing, saying, look at that. You're going to become famous one day. Hasn't happened to Stepan. But he said, you're going to be famous one day, and uh, you'll be able to tell the story of how you got the name, and my name will be brought up. And I was, uh, you know, in tears already, but it made me cry a little bit more when I found out that my friend who's near death is here thinking about me maybe becoming famous and, uh, you know, saying his name on radio or on a video or on a music video or whatever. And here I am all these years later, 20 plus years later, saying his name on radio. So full circle, right? Uh, so anybody who ever wants to know why I got the name The Jackal, that's the reason. And I miss the heck out of my friend. Cancer has been a, a very destructive thing. Uh, my friends' uh, circle in my family life, uh, my personal life has been touched by it many times. And it's never a beautiful thing. It's never a good thing when you see people die in front of you. It's never uh, a good thing when people die, period. Okay. What's going on in the world today is sad. And I find it really sad when people that are living a certain reality and have everything given to them do not appreciate the little things they have and don't appreciate the big things they have and just don't appreciate life in general. I mean, it's no secret right now that millions of people are going at each other over stupid things. You have a war in Ukraine uh, because Putin is crazy. Let's just <laughs> call it for what it is. And uh, he's uh, instigated this war in Ukraine uh, over land, oil, power, money, and all these other things. And Joe Biden, our commander and sniffler and thief, has completely bent over and said, Putin, stick it right in, do whatever you want. And Putin has done just that. Now, when I get up in the morning every day, I thank whatever the maker is for giving me another day of life. Uh, remember, tomorrow's not a given, but today is a gift. 
That's why we call this the present. And we have to enjoy every moment we have on this little blue marble that we have in the sky. Every second of every day is precious because it can be taken just like that. My good friends, Art Bell and George Rodriguez, both both of them are resting in peace also. And I remember like it was just yesterday, I was uh, chatting on Facebook with uh, Art Bell, who uh, really was tough to get to because, you know, he was very private. Uh, but, uh, you know, we were working on Dark Matter Digital Network with him, and uh, it was uh, a pleasure to know Art in a very limited capacity, but a pleasure to know him as he is uh, the lead into uh, my uh, uh, Mount Rushmore of radio hosts and uh, personalities that I looked up to. And, um, of course, George Rodriguez was my main mentor in radio. And Jorge uh, from Soflo Radio, somebody who I admired um, for a long time because this is a guy who had the talent to be the man at any station as a main show host. And yet he stuck around with Neil Rogers and that crew. And, you know, they took over the airways on South Florida and really were just incredible together. Neil Rogers and uh, George Rodriguez were just an amazing duo for two decades. And uh, they're, they're both gone now. And with that said, I mean, that tells you how fast life could go. I could die at any minute. We all could die at any minute. And right now, around the world, instead of having peace and trying to help humanity and help each other out, we have people that are constantly going at each other and constantly trying to bicker and fight, wage wars. They're angry. Why are we so angry as a species? We have a beautiful world, a beautiful planet. We have this gift given to us, whether you believe it's by God or gods or aliens or whomever. It's a beautiful thing. Earth is a beautiful place. It's our home. But yeah, we're at war over oil, money, drugs, gold, whatever it is, power, whatever it is. We're constantly at war. The Ukraine thing that's happening now with Russia is a disaster caused by our president, Joe Biden. Make no mistake about this. If Joe Biden had not put back into construction the Keystone Pipeline, or I'm sorry, the Nordstrom II Pipeline in Russia, if he had not gone and put that back into construction, this would never have happened. If he would have kept us energy independent and finished our Keystone Pipeline, your gas prices will not be up right now. If he would not have stopped the L2 Pipeline, your gas will be cheaper right now. But these are all actions that he took early on in his administration with his executive orders. Now, 
we know that he's suffering from probably dementia, Alzheimer's, whatever it is that this man is going through mentally. We know he's not stable and he's going through all kinds of different things and he's not fit to serve office. We know that. It's, you know, something that you don't have to be a scientist or a doctor to be able to, to figure this out. All you have to do is look at the man and you understand that he's just not all there. He's, you're not dealing with somebody who has full capacity of who he is. He can hardly go through a, a sentence and finish it correctly, let alone run a country. This is why we need to completely handcuff his administration by, and I'm, you know, I'm independent, but we need to vote red in 2022 this year. And we need to stop the left from doing what they're doing. But furthermore, we need to stop Joe Biden in 2024 and remove him from office. If at all possible, we need to remove him from office before that, before things get worse. Okay. Remember, this is the person who called the bombing of children a righteous kill. That happened. That happened shortly after the Afghanistan withdrawal, which itself was a disaster. Okay. Now you say, well, that happened last year. Uh, you know, now we're we're dealing with this crisis. You know, why do you bring that up? Well, you know, there's eighty-five billion dollars worth of equipment, tanks, and money that we left there. And uh, you know, if he knew, which I'm sure he did, if he knew that Russia would be a threat, considering all the moves that they were making, why didn't he give that equipment over to Ukraine so they could use it to defend themselves? Why did he leave it there for the Taliban to acquire this weapon and get stronger? We literally went to war in the Middle East 20-plus years ago, and Afghanistan was a big part of that war, right? And once Joe Biden pulled out of Afghanistan, he literally left it stronger than it was when we went in. So what did we accomplish? Nothing. We accomplished nothing. Other than the death of several hundred thousand of our soldiers, of our young men, young women, all colors, ages, Sexual orientation, I mean, those things don't matter in the grand scheme of things. You know, these are still human beings, no matter what way you want to look at them, and they're all gone. They're dust in the wind because of Joe Biden. Now, of course, he could have left those uh, things there, or he could have transported it over to another country nearby, brought them home to America or given to Ukraine or, you know, one of our allies that might need the resources. But no, he left it there and he helped rebuild a very evil organization that will use those weapons and sell a lot of those weapons. And the Taliban and all these other groups out there are going to really uh, have their way with Afghanistan. 
And now, you know, let's get back and go into full circle. Why I started talking about this early on and why I, I went into this uh, short rant. Today, I went out and I had uh, some work done on my car. And as I'm sitting there waiting for the work to be finished, uh, this uh, lady uh, sits down in front of me and she's wearing a Trump shirt. And I'm trying to make out, is it an insulting Trump shirt or is it a favorable Trump shirt? And it turns out, you know, I didn't say anything. I didn't ask her, you know, what it was. Kind of just kept to myself. But I glanced over a couple times because I'm trying to figure out what it is. And I guess she figured that I'm looking at the shirt. And she, and she you know, starts talking to me. And she tells me that um, that she, uh, you know, uh, was wearing the shirt, but she's not pro-Trump, in case I was wondering. And I was like, yeah, actually, I was. And uh, it, it's an interesting shirt. And she said, no, he's a fascist, and I hate him. And I'm like, well, you know, why do you get the need to wear a shirt with Trump's name on it if you hate him so much? And her answer made no sense. And then I figured something out. She had no idea what was going on. She was completely clueless. She says that she uh, watches um, certain news outlets and doesn't watch other outlets. Uh, she, you know, uh, was mocking Fox News. And uh, Joe Biden was on TV talking about the war and how inflation is going to affect us all. And they had it on on, uh, on Channel 7, uh, WSVN here in South Florida, on the TV and uh, in the waiting room. And uh, she said that she voted for Biden. And I said, oh, so you're one of the reasons why we're in this mess to begin with, while we have inflation and while we have oil prices going up and gas prices going up because you voted for the wrong guy. And she said, I would never vote for a fascist like Trump. And I was like, wait a second. What makes him a fascist? She couldn't answer it. I uh, asked her, uh, do you support, you know, let's say progressive movements like Antifa or Black Lives Matter? And uh, she goes, oh, I love Antifa. I'm actually Antifa, uh, an Antifa member. And I was like, really? And she said, yeah, I belong to a chapter of Antifa. And uh, it made sense because, she, you know, she was coming off a little bit goofy. And uh, I told her, well, let me tell you, um, what happened in 2020 was a complete, uh, a complete uh, Antifa shit show, for lack of a better word. And uh, she goes, yeah, well, what about the Capital Six riots, huh? And I was like, oh, you don't think that there were Antifa members involved in that? Because there were. She said, well, that, that's just speculation. I'm like, no, that's actually accurate. Uh, there are Antifa agitators, there are Black Lives Matter agitators, uh, there are uh, Proud Boys who were there, uh, there are all, all kinds of different groups, and they were leading the way, and uh, I have people that were in the Capitol, people that were outside the Capitol that are friends of mine, people that went by and never went in. Uh, of course, we know uh, Daryl from uh, the uh, Global Enlightenment Radio Network, uh, somebody who uh, was in there, and... Um, you know, the Trump supporters that were there, a lot of them were calling out the feds who were outside, and they refused to actually acknowledge uh, that uh, they were there for rioting. 
In fact, uh, when you actually watch some of the footage that has leaked online, you can tell who the agitators are pretty easily, okay? And you can tell who Trump supporters are actually pretty easily. And uh, at no point did it look like Trump sent out a group of people out there. But people are still following this narrative. This lady also brings up uh, the Russian collusion, which now we know it's a hoax. Full circle. It's come up recently with the John Durham investigation that, yes, indeed, there was collusion with Russia, but it was done by Hillary Clinton when she paid for the Christopher Steele dossier, which we all have known about for a long time because this uh, paperwork is what went to the FBI that caused the spying to happen to begin with on then-candidate Donald Trump. He wins the presidency. The investigation continues. It goes from spying on a citizen to spying on a president. Okay? This, folks, is worse than Watergate. This is literally the worst act in politics in this country's history. And it was done by Hillary Clinton, a person who this lady supports, by the way. And when she said that, I said, let me ask you, do you support evil like uh, the Fraud Squad and AOC and Nancy Pelosi and all these people? And she goes, oh, I love AOC. And I was like, well, it makes sense. AOC being the village Indian after all, right? And and she and, and to her credit, she said that she didn't like Nancy Pelosi. So I'll give her credit on that. Uh, Nancy Pelosi is a disaster. She needs to be removed from office, investigated uh, for her crimes, which there's a plenty, uh, which uh, include inside the trading and all kinds of things, where she belongs in prison. And that's something that maybe the law will catch up to her. Maybe it won't. I don't know. But what I do know is that I had this uh, brief conversation with another American citizen, and it really was enlightening. It showed me the inner workings of the mind of a person who was completely brainwashed by mass media. This person watched, uh, you know, the, the typical MSNBC, CBS, uh, and, you know, uh, CNN, you know, the typical outlets, uh, for sure. She would admit to a lot of these, but, you know, you could tell where she was getting her talking points. Um, but the sad part is, there is, you know, she's not just the only one. There's a lot of people out there who are still convinced that Trump somehow colluded with Russia. Folks, we need to stop that narrative. There was never any collusion. That's been proven already. In fact, it's been proven that the only collusion that happened with Russia was done by Hillary Clinton when she paid for that Steele dossier, the Christopher Steele papers that led to spying on a citizen and then a president of this country. This is bigger than Watergate, and I hope it doesn't get swept under the rug. I hope that we, as a people, don't forget that this did happen to our country. So in full circle, now you know certain things about me and things that happened and a story that happened today. And I 
was able to get on the phone with uh, another uh, good show host, uh, Robert, who was over on Global Enlightenment Radio Network earlier tonight, right before I started the show. And we had an interesting conversation about space and time and interdimension and how everything is constructed and works. In another dimension, I never had this experience. In another dimension, I might have voted for Joe Biden. In another dimension, Joe Biden might have been the good guy and Trump the bad guy. But in this dimension, folks, reality is Joe Biden is an evil dude. His son is a crackhead. His son's laptops do matter. And now the left is finally starting to admit it. Laptops were real. Hunter Biden is corrupt. Joe Biden is also corrupt. Donald Trump was innocent. Go figure. The New York Times have uh, come up with the reports of the uh, John Durham investigation. And yes, indeed, these are the facts. We need the news media to be held accountable. Because they refused to run with facts and made things out of thin air into the narrative. They falsified information, fed it to the people, and now women like the one I met today believe lies about a sitting president that was here for four years who was attacked daily by people like Nancy Pelosi by AOC, by the same people that this person admires on the left. So next time you're at the election booth, remember who you're voting for. Remember that your vote does matter. Your vote counts. And just make sure that we have an America first agenda. Here in this country, you have to be that way. Every country should have their country at heart first. And then we all have to come together and unify because we all live in a small marble floating in the skies in a vacuum in space. And we all have to come to peace. The only way we come to peace is by us loving ourselves and loving our country, loving humanity. But if you don't love where you come from, if you don't know where you stand, then you're just floating in the wind. Now, with that said, I want to uh, say that in the next few minutes, I'm going to be joined by a very enlightened individual, somebody who I have a whole lot of respect for, and uh, somebody who I've been wanting to uh, have back on the show for a long time. Stephen Mayers uh, is a gentleman who... Uh, you know, he's an author, a lecturer, an independent researcher, and he studied the Great Pyramids for over 20 years. Somebody's drag racing outside. Uh, now he's done so, so you can understand how the ancient, uh, ancient wonders of the world can be built and why. Why were they built? Who did it? His research includes traveling to Egypt to conduct extensive on-site research at the Gaza Plateau. And by the way, that's one of the things on my bucket list. I, I am dying to visit the great Egyptian 
pyramids and see them firsthand. Uh, Stephen also has read numerous mag numerous magazines and magazine articles, and given many lectures on the subject of the Great Pyramids. Compiling his research into books, which provide a comprehensive and detailed explanation of how the Great Pyramid was built and why. Again, why is the question? Maybe you'll have an answer as to why not just the Great Pyramid, but the pyramids in general were built. He also has founded a nonprofit um, foundation dedicated in understanding in how and why the Great Pyramid was built. The mission of his foundation is to, you know, develop and redevelop these ancient but advanced technologies and help our modern but troubled world advance some more. And make no mistake about it, folks. These were technologies that we had, and we've lost them through time. How did that happen? His books and documentaries can be found online. He is a frequent on many talk show hosts himself, and uh, you know you could find his uh, research uh, in uh, books on Amazon and other places. He's going to tell us more on how to get to him when we have him on. It's going to be an utter pleasure to bring him onto the show and uh, talk to him for the next two hours, which is great about moving to Saturdays. And the new times, of course, is 9 p.m. till midnight. 9 to midnight, folks, on Saturday nights. That is the set schedule coming up for good, at least for a long period of time, I hope. Uh, again, you know, I wanted to start off in April. But because of you know stuff that happened last week, I decided to do it this week and have Stephen on so we could end the month of uh, March with a bang. Uh, this month normally is a little bit weird for me. As you guys know, I mourn my mother's passing, and then I celebrate her birth on the same month. She passed away March 7th of 2016, but she was born and given to this world on March 13th. 1940. She didn't make it to see her uh, birthday, but I know that my mother's always been there with me and uh, shares a passion for all these things because when she was alive, we used to talk about this a lot, believe it or not. She was very into the uh, radio stuff, even though she didn't understand a lot of what I was talking about because of the language barrier. She understood enough English to be able to listen to some of my shows and understand what I was talking about. You know, she was very interested in aliens and whatnot. We would often, uh, me and her, watch, like, the X-Files together and stuff. And while she was uh, more into, like, her telenovelas and her Spanish broadcasting and, and her movies like Selena and uh, Batteries Not Included, which is a, a, which is a very funny comedy, um, she was... Uh, a very interesting lady. And uh, I loved my mother, you know, I loved her to... You know, no ends, and I miss her to no ends. Uh, so this has uh, always been a rough month for me, but um, I wanted to make sure that as the month closed out, that I had a fantastic guest to go out with a bang on, and uh, this is going to be a fun couple hours with uh, Stephen and uh, guys. 
I hope you are all ready to talk about the Great Pyramid of Egypt. And again, the technology that might still be there that we could maybe use to further our species and our humanity. There's a reason why the pyramids are still standing. When we build constructed buildings with all this modern technology that doesn't last but maybe a few decades and they, they crumble. If humanity were to take a step back, every building in existence would disappear within maybe 100 years. But yet the pyramids are still there. So think about that. I want to welcome uh, with me the guest of the evening, Mr. Stephen Mayers. And uh, Stephen is a gentleman who, of course, I said earlier, is a, a very interesting person to talk to because the subject that he you know, speaks about mostly is something that I've been very interested in for many, many, many years. Uh, probably as long as you've been researching it, Stephen. And, uh, you know, it's a pleasure to have you back on the show here with me and talk about the Great Pyramid and, uh, and talk about, you know, uh, maybe a few other things that deal with uh, not just why they were constructed, but who built them. Well, thank you for having me on the show, Angel. I really appreciate it. It's a great opportunity. You know, the opportunity is all mine, my friend. The honor is all mine to have you on here. Uh, you know, let's uh, tell the audience, because I, I gave you a bio earlier, and the audience uh, is aware of, you know, who you are. Uh, but I wanted to hear, you know, what got you interested in the pyramids to begin with? What is What, the, what was the driving force uh, behind you uh, saying, you know, this is what I want to research? That's a great question. Uh, my uh, degrees and uh, background are in uh, quite quite a technical field, if you will, electronics, uh, fluid dynamics, a few other things like that. Uh, I'm an amateur radio operator. I uh, also collect anti-gasoline engines, so I'm I'm oh, quite wow. yeah, it's yep. fun fun hobby. Quite interested in uh, technology, but also uh, historical technology. So, the uh, when I studied uh, like World War II, I wasn't really interested in the politics or the generals. I was more interested in the battleships and the airplanes and all of that. So I enjoyed the technology of of that much more than anything else. And uh, if a person likes history and technology, then maybe they'll. Uh, take a look at the Great Pyramid. It's a 45-story skyscraper. It was the tallest building in the world for 4,000 years mm -hmm. and uh, exhibits a lot of technology. So I got interested in that and uh, ended up writing a couple of books and producing a couple of documentaries that they can find out about at my website at thepump.org. Now, it's funny because I, I mentioned this earlier when I was going through your bio uh, that, you know, the, not just the Great Pyramid, but the pyramids in general are all technological creations that we cannot duplicate now with our modern science and modern technology. We couldn't do something that stands that test of time. We're talking about something that was done, you know, thousands of years ago. Uh, you know, if we left the scene, let's say, for uh, about 100 years, our skyscrapers will be gone. Our buildings will be gone. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, all these things that we think are so modern 
would not be around for as long as these pyramids are. But the Great Pyramid has been raided in the past. A lot of things have been taken from there. And, you know, what is the assessment of what this thing is? What was it used for, as far as you could tell? Well, certainly it was a big project, a big, expensive project that took a lot of resources. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it cost a lot to build a a great pyramid, let's say. So um, I'm of the opinion that it probably had a really big return on investment, bigger than the cost, just like everything. You know, a railroad locomotive costs a lot of money, but they get a return on investment. You know, a pencil, you know, people buy pencils. They get a return on investment that's bigger than the cost or a hammer or even even breakfast. You know, you get a good return on investment for breakfast to get you to lunch. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, so it's it's worth it. But if it costs, let's say, five hundred million dollars for breakfast, just getting you to lunch wouldn't be a very good return on investment. So I think the Great Pyramid <laughs> had a big return on investment, like a uh, hydroelectric dam, big and expensive. Big return on investment. So I think the Great Pyramid was a machine. It was infrastructure, and it was built to help the civilization that created it. It helped them by turning the desert into a garden or uh, transforming poverty into prosperity. And it was infrastructure, and what the machine did was pump water. That's an interesting thought. it, it, an interesting idea that it was done to pump water and give it like an irrigation system uh, for the population that were there at the time. Um, now, uh, another theory, and I don't know if you're familiar with this, I'm pretty sure you are, obviously, uh, but is that it possibly was used to maybe give even electricity to the uh, to the great people of Egypt. Well, if you have pumped water, you can use that to generate electricity. So Mm -hmm. Great Pyramid uh, did a whole host of things. I think the Giza Plateau was more of a science center Mm. than a a graveyard, if you will, when originally built. And they uh, used the the, um, pumped water to power heavy machinery. And they used it to create electricity. Also, I think they used it for... The creation of compressed air and compressed air you can use to for a whole host of things with a uh, a vortex tube. You can make very high temperatures and also very low temperatures with compressed air. And you can do a lot of things with uh, high voltage, high uh, high voltage static electricity. A lot of early experiments uh, were conducted with that. So I think I think it did a whole host of things, probably uh, medical procedures, uh, tempering metal, uh, using the compressed air to power other machinery. Our industrial re- revolution started with uh, water power. And there's probably a whole host of things that we don't know what the pumped water was used for. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Uh, what, what happened to this technology? What do you think over the eons and over the years uh, you know, that we've uh, seemed to like forgotten or lost it? Or I mean, how did how do we you know lose track of how this thing was built? Well, I think it was probably built pre-dynastic uh, times before uh, dynastic Egypt. 
not mm. certainly not what Egyptologists say. They said right. it was built uh, about the same time the Sphinx was built, within a generation or two. Well, mm -hmm. with the research of the geologist, Dr. Robert Schock, uh, with water erosion, most people think that the Sphinx was probably originally carved much earlier, before the last ice age. So right. that, that infers that the buildings next to it, the pyramids, were built much earlier than what Egyptologists say. So, uh, so if it was built before the last um, catastrophe, like the Ice Age or whatever, meteor strike, then that would have not only uh, stopped the Great Pyramid water pump from working, but also uh, the, all the uh, people that ran it and that type of thing. If we had a catastrophe, let's say a worldwide catastrophe, uh, people wouldn't, you know, when we went back to the Stone Age, if you will, no one could run the nuclear power plants or the even the hydroelectric dams and all of that. So Correct. that's probably yeah. what happened. It was the civilization uh, probably was destroyed in a catastrophe, which left the Great Pyramid uh, not operational, if you will. Now, that that's actually an excellent answer, and it, and it brings me to my next question. Uh, it, with the planet being billions of years old, um, you know, this civilization, do you think they were extraterrestrial, or do you think they were humans or humanoid like us? Well, I think they were a little bit different than us, probably quite a bit smarter. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, that That's a really good question. The focus of my research is not who built the Great Pyramid, but how it was built. Right. So, uh, but a lot of people say, well, aliens were involved because the technology is so high, if you will. Mm -hmm. This ancient structure exhibits some high technology. It's, uh, you know, uh, ultra modern in appearance, you know, no owner ornamentation inside or right. out. So, uh, so people, you know, and it has some very large scale precision stone cutting and a few other things that make it high technology. So, uh, but if you say aliens did it, you are also saying that uh, ancient people weren't smart enough to stack rocks into a pile, if you will. Okay. And I, I would say I, I'm leaning toward, towards um, our, your and my ancient ancestors had geniuses among their this ancient civilization and they were able to uh, understand properties of physics and the world around them and develop this te this helpful technology to to help them just like we we develop technologies like the the power grid and the and the highway system even sewer systems and everything else to uh to improve our lives so i would say probably ancient geniuses that were humans or at least humanoid this is why i love talking to you because i mean it's really a scientific way of looking at it uh and uh it's unlike what some people just jump to the conclusion no it must have been martians from a, you know another world they came down here um you know it's sad uh yeah. Stephen, that we're, we're not giving credit for how smart not only we are as a species but our ancestors Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh yeah, there are there are no primitive civilizations. That's for sure. Yeah. You know, when ancient times 
They had uh, brain surgery, birth control, cystic sections, all kinds of medicines, you know, from especially the rainforest down in Brazil and that area. Mm -hmm. We get a lot of our medicines from them. So, yeah, 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 uh, it's kind of ethnocentric to say, well, it was aliens instead of ancient people. It's it's kind of an insult, if you will. Because there's nothing ancient about, uh, or there's nothing primitive about ancient people. But it's a, it's an easy answer, it's an easy cop out answer from the, some folks to say, "Oh, just aliens built it." I mean, to me, that's an easy cop out answer. It, it you know, it, it really discredits us. It it is also also it um, it it is a cop out, and it and it indicates like very superficial research. You know, like to right. to say, well, how is this thing built? You know, there's there's probably a lot to it, just like a hydroelectric dam. In the real world, there's a lot to it. You know, it's not just a big chunk of concrete, but the actual doing of it. And then if they say aliens did it, then that's pretty superficial research. Or they say, well, it was sonic levitation. I I hear that a lot, yeah. but uh, you know, no, not really. If if sonic levitation worked. Instead of expanding the Panama Canal, they could have just used sonic levitation and moved the ships. But in the real world, that that doesn't work mm. for, for very heavy objects. Or they say, well, it was a magic wand. Or <laughs> people say uh, they hummed and worshipped crystals or contemplated their navel. But they're, but they're, in the real world, there's a lot more to it than just... A, t- a two-word answer to how the Great Pyramid was built. There were a bunch of Jedi's. Just the Jedi's did it. <laughs> you know, it's funny because you know what we are told is that the planet's about what four point something billion years old, uh, but in a billion years, just one billion years. There could be so many different things in societies that come and go. And uh, that's why earlier on the show tonight, I was saying, you know, be thankful that you're living in the present. Be thankful that you're living in the moment because every, any moment you could go in and pass away and life goes on. And at any moment, you know, you, you know you're forgotten, but the world keeps on spinning. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and. A billion years is a long time. Four billion years is a very long time. It is. It is. And uh, hu- humans, I say, are like um, the the same, if you will. Myself, I think you know that they back in uh, when in ancient times in the Valley of the Nile, they had the same wants and, de- and desires as we we have. You know, they want their kids to eat every day. Right. They want to have some some leisure, uh, maybe even uh, generate some sort of wealth. So those are the things that motivated the construction of the Great Pyramid. I ask people who are think it's aliens. I ask who built it. I ask this question: Why did aliens come all the way from Orion or wherever? Right to stack rocks into uh, the shape of a pyramid, and you don't get a coherent answer. You might say. Oh, to communicate or to phone home or as a beacon so, or something. They can't right, find a way what, home without a pyramid. Which that in itself is hysterical. It's like, yeah, they came from there to here to find a way to phone back there. That's yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's uh 
it's strange, you know, but that's that's the level of some people's research. The yeah. sophistication yeah. is pretty low. Welcome to America. I mean, welcome <laughs> to the world. <laughs> you know, I was having a conversation earlier with uh, a lady uh, earlier tonight, and uh, as I was getting some work done on my car, and uh, you know, it really enlightened me too, like how limited some people think of the world and think of reality, and uh, it's it's sad that today's society has kind of like I think has regressed mentally. Uh, where it's now people believe the narrative and they don't want to do the research. They don't want to understand what the reality was of what history taught us that these things happen because of a certain reason. And I think that's why they tear down statues and want to forget the past. But the problem is, if you don't remember the past, you're doomed to repeat it, and sometimes not in a positive way. And I think, you know, that something might have happened to our, our ancestors where they died and their history was not, you know, kept alive for future gen- generations and we lost that knowledge. Of course, you know, it, you know, it could have been another catastrophe that took away even more of uh, that information from us, which is sad in itself, uh, you know. It is. Well, when you study an ancient structure like the Great Pyramid, yeah. It's a puzzle with many, many pieces gone. And like you say, people, they will uh, just believe the narrative or believe what they're told, but they won't test or find out how somebody determined that truth that they came up with. You know, people believe Egyptologists, but they they don't do any type of experimentation. They don't engage in the scientific method. They say that... uh, Great Pyramid casing stones, which are extremely precisely cut on a large scale. Oh, that was done just using hand tools. And they just mm. they just pull that out of the hat and just say it. <laughs> but it's interesting. They've never made a Great Pyramid casing stone. I know you're over on the East Coast and right. at Colonial Williamsburg, they have a, they have you know, that's where the colonial days and all of that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they still do because of COVID, but they have people that are bookbinders and coopersmiths and people that are tanning leather and people that are making uh, furniture, all the, all the things that colonial people do. So they're, they're in effect scientists providing demonstrations. And um, Egyptology doesn't do that. That's why there's so much controversy if Egyptology could prove what they say by making a great pyramid casing stone with hand tools, people like me would just fade into the woodwork. But uh, because of their refusal to engage in the scientific method, there's so much controversy about how it was done. And they've never moved a heavy stone, mm-hmm. uh, not, not a small one, but a full size, let's say a 70 ton stone. They've never moved that type of stone one inch. And the ramp idea is unworkable. It it can't be done. So uh, <laughs> so people. Need What's to, the next one? <laughs> yeah, people people need to question the science instead of just re, you know believing what they read in those books because yeah, Egyptologists can't even get one casing stone right. How how can the rest of what they say certainly not stand up to scrutiny? So. Uh, I don't know how they get away with it. 
let me ask you. Uh, I, I mean, I think I might have asked you this uh, once before, but are, are you still uh, maybe? Uh, uh, I don't know if you've done any research into it, but are you familiar at all with uh, the uh, Coral Castle down here in Florida? I have. I am familiar with it. I have not been there. I'm. A, I'm out here on the Oregon coast. Right. The, the Coral Castle is about as far as you can get from where I am, and still be <laughs> in the United States. But I want to go there. I want to go there really bad. But uh, it hasn't uh, it hasn't happened yet. But it, but it's interesting. That's a modern day mystery. He mm-hmm. he, did, he did some uh, Ed with a funny last name. I I can't recall it right now. Liebenstrom or something. Something like it, that. Yes. Yeah, something like that. But anyway, he moved some heavy payloads. Mm-hmm. But he didn't he didn't provide a demonstration on how he did it. So yeah. there, you know, there's controversy. People say, you know, the magic wand or magnets or he defied gravity or whatever. But uh, the uh, the jury is still out. I mean, it's it's not known for sure. I know he moved his castle uh, from one place to another because he was trying to get tourist dollars, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, and he used trucks that are powered by fossil fuel, probably diesel trucks. That he put the stones on, but then they transported the the components to the castle to the other location. So uh, you know, <laughs> the uh, you know, you know, people compare what he did with how the Great Pyramid was built. But they they moved stones across a river. Mm-hmm. They also um, cut stones to much greater precision than he did. So uh, there's there's quite a few differences that don't um, apply as as much as there are um, similarities. I think the largest stone he moved was 30 tons, which is massive, but the yep. over over twice that for the Great Pyramid, and uh, they lifted those heaviest stones 200 feet high from the base of the Great Pyramid. So, uh, you know, there's differences, to say the least. Oh, definitely. Uh, Edward Leeds Gettleman. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in, in fact, this is, uh, this is something that will blow your mind. I live about 15 minutes away from the Coral Castle. Oh, my uh, God. Yeah, I pass it every day going back and forth uh, to work. And uh, I once I was riding by there with my father, and I'm like, do you know what that is? And he's like, no idea. And I'm like. Man, you have no idea. You pass by there all the time, and you have no idea what a great creation that is. Yeah, uh, it's, it's sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, he he was a smart guy and and did a lot. But uh, mm-hmm. again, it's a it's a modern day mystery as yeah. to what he did, and uh, you know it, it requires and deserves a lot more research than has been uh, done so far. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even though it's not to the scale of the Great Pyramid or the pyramids in general, but I mean, what he was able to do by himself, you know, according to legend, uh, was definitely a, a marvel to uh, definitely uh, look into. Even if you're not particularly into science or into the subject generally, uh, just uh, out of curiosity, I would think more people would be into it. But it, they've turned it down into like a tourist attraction. Mm-hmm. Sadly, it's been closed because of COVID. Oh, wow. uh, so yeah, they've had it closed for some time now. Um, they might reopen it. I'm not sure exactly what they're going to do with it. But man, if you ever get down here and you want to take a look at it, please you got to look me up and we'll we'll go make a, a day of it and 
Oh, we'll do. Yeah, we'll go together. Yeah, and do some uh, kind of a co-research, if you will. I would Definitely. like that. <laughs> Get your insight onto it. Yeah, no. What they uh, I've always wanted to do is uh, do a, a remote uh, recording from there, but they don't allow recording devices. That's you know, uh, big, no, no. Yeah, maybe it, we'll it, go go down there and jump the fence. <laughs> there you go, middle <laughs> of the night, incognito. They'll never see yes, coming. Uh, <laughs> We'll have the the black eye, you know, the military gear, the whole nine yards. Just to, you know, <laughs> keep them mysterious. Uh, you know, uh, back to uh, the Great Pyramid here. Um, do you think other, you know, civilizations uh, that came after whoever built the Great Pyramid uh, built the other pyramids kind of like in tribute? Or do you think uh, of the pyramids that we have found were all built up by the same people? Well, that's interesting. Certainly, there's pyramids all around the world. You know, there's yep. one in Las Vegas, and uh, there's one in uh, at the Louvre in Paris. Mm-hmm. But most people think of ancient pyramids. But uh, there's there's some in South America, and mm-hmm. uh, other places, China and whatever. But they're all a different design, different interior type passages different quality of workmanship. Some are just made out of rubble, if you will, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, piles of gravel are not much better than that, if you will. So uh, some have held up to the test of time, others have not. So um, uh, there's probably uh, different civilizations. There's no real feature specific to the Great Pyramid that indicates that it has any relationship to the pyramids, uh, even next to it, the big ones next to it. So right. even those could have been built 10,000 or 100,000 years between each construction project. So it's hard to say. Some some think that some of the pyramids were uh, repurposed or built originally for religious purposes, if you will. Mm-hmm. And and then also some people contend that it was some sort of a cargo cult, if you will. Uh, you know, in the South Pacific during World War II, the isolated islanders would see a big ship come and the airplanes and all of the spam and the food and all of this cargo. So they started to worship the people that brought that. And uh, they were cargo cults, very strong religion, even up until this day. There's still uh, cargo cults in the Pacific Islands. And a similar you were, thing, you were, you were thinking of they saw spam coming down to stop worshiping. They'd be like, man, this is horrible food. <laughs> well, you would think, yeah, but maybe, who knows? So, uh, but uh, some, some might have think that... Uh, the, some other pyramids may be that type of a thing. They they see this great pyramid, and one pharaoh might claim it, if you will. Mm. But then the next pharaoh might say, well, I want to have one of them too, and then make one, but it's for ceremonial purposes. Right. In car- cargo cults, they would make airplanes out of palm branches and radios out of crates, that type of thing, trying to entice the the gods to come back and bring the cargo if you will so uh that could be a type of thing but it's 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 really hard to say now because of the passage of time what exactly really happened uh egyptologists 
refer to several periods in during the pharaohs they call it intermediary periods which is a kind word that describes chaos so mm -hmm. in effect the civilization declined and then rebuilt if you will you know and there were these intermediary periods between a more organized civilization so uh it's hard to tell exactly what happened but a good a good way to study the great pyramid is to actually look at it and analyze it and see what it would take in the real world to move the stones from point a to point b and that type of thing so you have we all have the same direct physical evidence and then uh, all researchers uh analyze that and interpret that evidence as they see fit that's interesting uh do you think that uh a lot of these uh researchers uh maybe uh started with the theory that these were gods uh that built the pyramids or you know just uh leaped right into mankind build these things well a lot of researchers it, it depends on where they're coming from uh, certainly alternative researchers think mm -hmm. that uh, the, the Great Pyramid was some sort of a religious structure or symbolic structure, but uh, I don't think so. But now Egyptologists, what they think is what they've already been told by other Egyptologists, you know, from the previous generation. Mm. Egyptology is the only science that has stagnated and it's virtually the same as it was 100 years ago, you know, that yeah. the big ramp. And the workers with the big back muscles and they mm -hmm. drug the stones up the big ramp but we won't demonstrate it or anything we won't show you how to do it like they do in uh colonial williamsburg where they make the books and do the uh, leather and do everything so uh, we won't do any of that but we'll, we'll validate what we say by unanimity of expert opinion in right. other words they all say the same thing and they all agree with each other so it must be right yeah. and, and that's yeah. that's not science no, no, not at all. So that, no. that science is kind of in, in crisis. Most, Egypt, <laughs> yeah. most Egyptologists, the biggest stone they'll ever move is the one in their kidney. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that, that's pretty accurate, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, that gets back to human beings being the, you know, just... Uh, uh, people of theory, for the most part, and uh, not really the wanting to look at the science behind things the way they, they actually might have been. Uh, and again, going back to what I said earlier, with a planet that's been here for this long, who is, you know, not to say that, you know, this is just the way, you know, back then, most constructions uh, were. There have been a lot of pyramids all over the world, and this is the one that's still here. Uh, because, you know, buildings do decay, things do go away, and uh, in four billion years, things come and go. Uh, now, with that said, though, um, it could be that maybe every continent had pyramids like the Great Pyramid that gave water to, the, to his people, that gave electricity, that gave all these things. And again, this might be just the last one left. What do you think? Well, there's... Uh a possibility but uh, other pyramids are certainly much different more different than uh similar some have right, platforms right. on the top some mm -hmm. don't have any interior structure 
and and that type of thing. But uh, as you say, in the construction trade, uh, before iron and steel I-beams, if you wanted to make a tall structure, it had to be big at the bottom and small at right. the top. It just had to be. Yeah. So, I mean, that that doesn't mean that there is a, that they all communicated with each other. It's just a engineering issue that had to be resolved, and it's it's mm. not that hard to figure out. So uh, people can be isolated, South America, Egypt, China, and never never contact each other, but come up with a similar solution to a similar problem. So I you know I don't I don't think that uh, other pyramids or all pyramids certainly are not uh, water pumps. But my research is is about the Great Pyramid being a water pump, and I wrote, right. you know, two books: one about how the Great Pyramid was built, and the other one is about uh, why the Great Pyramid was built. And the links are at our website at thepump.org. Now let's get to the nuts and bolts of this thing. Um, you know, what exactly uh, do you think the technology uh, was made out of? Uh, I mean, we, we kind of like touched upon a little bit, but um, at the end of the day, what do you think was actually used by these beings or these ancient men? Are you asking how does the water, how does the Great Pyramid pump water? No, no, no. Uh, how exactly were they, uh, you know, build the actual, how did they well, build the pyramid? Yeah. The construction process. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 So my first book is about that. Lost Technologies of the Great Pyramid and my uh, first documentary, mm -hmm. Building the Great Pyramid with water locks and barges. So they used water locks like the Erie Canal or the Panama Canal, that type of thing. Uh, very simple technology, but uh, ingenious and effective and fast. And they had a, uh, from the building site all the way down to the Nile was mm -hmm. a series of water locks. So uh, the building site was connected to the... They will be able to get through, correct, yeah. yeah. And, uh, now, now, do you think uh, with that in place, um, did they have the infrastructure around it? Like, uh, did they have to use like, certain trees? Because I know that's been kind of a controversy uh, with some of the folks saying, that, well, they didn't have this certain uh, tree uh, for, a, a, you know, a, a long distance to be able to get it from point A to point B. Well, uh, in the real world, <laughs> the the uh, people in the Valley of the Nile moved obelisks on very large barges. Mm -hmm. They that are made of wood. They moved um, sh with ships up and down the Nile. The Great Pyramid had two matching sun barges that were about mm. 150 feet long, made out of very large planks, and both of those have now been excavated, one just quite recently, but they were made to be taken apart. So, yeah, they, they had enough wood. Uh, there was a tremendous source of wood from the cedars of Lebanon, not very far away. And uh, that supplied, I'm sure, water. But all they needed, they certainly used stone masonry and uh, a bonding agent, very strong bonding agent, stronger than the stone itself. And also some uh, short wooden planks for the doors on pivots for water locks. 
And isn't it interesting that Herodotus was told by the priests in the fifth century BC, who were probably tour guides, mm-hmm. he was told that uh, there was either a machine that each stone went into at each level, and that those machines were notable for having uh, short wooden planks. And it says that in Herodotus, book two. So uh, <coughs> some people say, oh, well, uh, that was levers. Uh, no, mm. can't, can't move 70 ton payloads uh, <laughs> with levers, wooden levers. Yeah. So, And they never demonstrated. But anyway, uh, water locks like the Erie Canal could move stones on barges or payloads. Let me put it this way. Payloads in 1830. The Erie Canal was built four and a half feet deep. The barges held a payload of 70 tons. So in 1830, in 1830, they had the infrastructure and the know-how to build the Erie Canal, which made New York wealthy. Mm -hmm. And uh, so if they could do it in the 1830s, certainly they could do it in uh, the valley of the nile so yeah there's plenty of wood to make uh, these uh water lock doors which would last 20 years especially now, isn't an interesting uh, a question uh or idea more than a question really uh we'll you know basing our knowledge of egypt the way it looks now but we're talking about something that predates the Egyptian culture that we thought were the ones that created these, these things or created the Great Pyramid, at least. Um, maybe back then there was a lot more water in the area. Well, right now it's a barren desert where there isn't right. any ir- irrigation. But earlier uh, it was a savanna. And, right. and even earlier than that, there were... Um, what uh hippopotamus giraffes yeah that type of thing um some some historians have said that uh some of the roman soldiers were able to march all the way to cairo in the shade of palm trees so it was mm. uh certainly the over the over the eons everything has changed the location of the nile river has has changed um lakes in the area the ancient lake maurice has changed in elevation uh the weather has changed and and a few other yep. things so uh so there's a lot a lot of change and yeah. uh but uh the the necessity for water uh, remains the same and all civilizations must have uh, a supply of water and that's mm-hmm. that's what the great pyramid uh, did a yearly inundation now remember this they say, oh, well, it flooded every year. Uh, so most years, yeah, some years better than others. But in the real world, a yearly inundation isn't good enough. They put in the High Aswan Dam, which actually stopped the yearly inundation, the yearly flood. Mm-hmm. But it was worth it because they can generate electricity to power a huge irrigation system year round. Mm-hmm. So, uh in modern times, they needed water pumps in the Valley of the Nile. In ancient times, they needed water pumps in the Valley of the Nile. Isn't that interesting? 
It is. <laughs> you know, it, it uh, also gets to the uh, the thought that uh, maybe even the continents themselves with the movement of continents over the eon uh, might have caused some of the uh, differences and changes uh, to not only the planet overall, but to this area. And perhaps maybe the Great Pyramid was, or, you know, constructions like this might have been the cause of some of the, the continents moving around because of the way it, it would move water around. True. Oh, let me put it another way. There's speculation that the Great Pyramid terraformed at least part of Northern Africa mm, by uh, altering the weather. There's some speculation that the the way it's all configured that water was drawn up the pyramid and into the sky. So it, it, um, it was like seeding the clouds, if you will. And my book, my second book talks about that. One of the purposes for the Great Pyramid, certainly that's speculation, but it's, it's quite interesting to think about the Great Pyramid irrigating that way by in mm. effect seeding the clouds. And uh, I know it sounds weird, but uh, you can you can read in my book a uh, much greater detail explanation than I can provide here. No, that's interesting, and it, it makes a lot of sense because this would be one way to uh, create, uh, you know, life uh, in the jungle within the the in the middle of, of Egypt, where there should be no, you know, no trees you know no uh, forest no, nothing like that uh, maybe this is one way they did it and brought water to the people possibly that's just one possibility yeah. but uh all of it was is involved with this word right here prosperity yeah like the great pyramid and pyramid provided prosperity for those who build it and i've talked to people who are very offended by that oh the great pyramid actually helping people Oh, of course it didn't do that. It could never <laughs> actually help somebody, you know, and it, and it's it's strange, just a different way of looking at things, you know. So uh, uh, what, what I think one way to determine why the Great Pyramid was built is to see how big of a return on investment that proposed purpose has, you know, like phoning home or right. helping the aliens. <laughs> find their way home or a, or a death star or to tell us they knew pie or whatever but water pump is probably the biggest hugest return on investment for every right. any purpose suggested for the great pyramid not only that if you think about you know think about this also Stephen. Uh, in that time period, I mean, there, I'm sure civilization back then, I mean, I'm not sure, but I would speculate that a civilization back then would also need a purpose for its people to have a way to provide for themselves. So this construction would be a massive intake for a civilization to take, and it would give a purpose to a people. Like, for example, today, we wake up, we go to work. Right, we have a, a we have a way of living. We have prosperity in many different levels. So this could have been a way for a you know government, let's just say, uh, that might have been in charge of people back then, to keep everybody kind of like a machine working on something. And this could have been the, their one job. This could have been their uh, source of income, for example. And including this, they could have other sources of income as well. 
Well, yes, uh, the Great Pyramid was a government-funded public works project. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just like, um, uh, you know, national parks yeah. were yeah. in the 1930s. The WPA and all of those organizations uh, built these national parks and they provided, you know, um, income for the workers initially, but also uh, prosperity for the whole, uh, you know, since then until now. Mount yes. Rushmore was a government-funded public works mm-hmm. project. That uh, area of South Dakota was quite uh, depressed economically, so they yeah. built this tourist attraction, and it, and it's uh, it costs money to build Mount yeah. Rushmore. Yeah. But it re- there's a return on investment every year. You know, people come see it and all of that. So uh, the right, same right. with the uh, I'm I'm out here on the West Coast. So a good example would be the uh, Hoover Dam, you know, right. built it in the 30s. They paid the workers 50 cents an hour, and that was high wages when they mm-hmm. built that. They went and yep. they worked there, went and bought home, bought a home to live in and everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been paying off, you know, fabulously for uh, 60 years, 70 years. Yeah. So that's that's what these things do, you know. They they cost to build, but they uh, they have a return on investment. But so, there's, there's uh, the longevity of this thing to you know not only uh, build it, it took a long time, but you know after the uh, fact, even the tourism and everything is still in there, that people still go see it. But like I was having a conversation, like I said earlier tonight, you know, before I had you on uh, with this lady that I met earlier today. And uh, we were talking about the, uh, the the Keystone Pipeline that we were out building here in, in the U.S. with the, when Trump was in office, and uh, how this was important because not only was it getting oil from Mexico to the U.S. to Canada, and we were now becoming you know net exporter of oil and, and fossil fuels, but it also employed thousands of people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, eventually, yes, it'll be finished, but it creates jobs for people to, to you know work on. And uh, you know, this is the same thing with the pyramid or the Great Pyramid or any construction um, of that source. It creates a you know a need uh, of for these people to, to have a purpose in life, who might otherwise you know may not have a purpose. So it, it's a, maybe it's a form of slavery. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> No, I think you're right on. It was a big construction project that yeah. had a huge return on investment. The, the Keystone pipeline, you know, certainly there's uh, people that have issues with it, that type of thing. But uh, all of that, the, the power grid, the highway system, yeah. sewer systems, uh, the, the Internet, you know, is infrastructure, yeah. if you will, and all of those things are uh, they have an initial cost but they they do generate wealth you know uh, right so uh, it's uh, it's an amazing thing and that's what i think the great pyramid was instead of to uh be a tomb <laughs> that uh, for the pharaoh's carcass uh i don't think that's correct you ask an egyptologist how do long open passages that have doors on pivots and sliding stones, how did that protect the mummy's pharaoh? 
or the, 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 the Pharaoh's mummy. How did that protect the mummy and his treasures? These long open passages. No coherent answer is ever provided. Right. But they just they just have just it's a tomb. You know, and Egyptology had its genesis in robbing tombs in the in the 1800s. And that's their mindset. And they say, well, it's a tomb, but it doesn't look like a tomb. So <laughs> evidently, uh it had several changes of plans because they didn't know what they were doing. And that's why it's a tomb that don't look like a tomb. You know, I could say, I could say, you see, you see this? That's mm -hmm. a pencil. It doesn't look like a pencil. It looks like a rock, but it really isn't a rock. It's a pencil. You know, if something doesn't look like a tomb, it's probably not a tomb. Right. <laughs> so all the other pharaohs were buried in a hole in the ground. Right. You know, and and uh, so, but it's just a bait and switch, just a kind of a poorly conceived uh, comparison to say, oh, well, uh, it's a tomb. But then other, the rest of them were uh, in the Valley of the Kings, you know, so it's it's just hokum. Egyptology is, uh, you know, the greatest hindrance to understanding ancient Egypt. Yeah, sadly, uh, I don't think we'll fully ever get an answer. What do you think? Uh, oh, well, no, I mean, no, no, no. Uh, other, other than your answer, which makes perfect sense scientifically, uh, but from like oh, Egyptians. Oh, no, we'll get an answer. It, take, it takes a long time. The yeah. Piltdown skull was discovered. Oh, all the anthropologists, mm. there it is. You know, we're the leading anthropologists. We acknowledge its validity. It's the Piltdown skull. It's right there, okay? Mm. It had file marks, but it took 40 years for the science of anthropology to say that the Piltdown skull was a forgery. What happened was all the original anthropologists who wrote their dissertation about the Piltdown skull, uh, they all died off. Mm. The next generation knew from the get-go that the Piltdown skull was a forgery, but nobody changed their minds. Okay. That's interesting, yeah. Yeah. And uh, what, uh, the uh, the fellow that figured out Continental Drift, uh, Wagner, I think his name was, uh, you know, he came up with Continental Drift. A geologist, you know, you talked about the, the continents moving and all of that. Geologist, oh, no. Nope. That's wrong. <laughs> there is no Continental Drift. It's it's There's no method for it to work. It doesn't work. And you weren't. Wagner wasn't a geologist. He can't come and tell us how the how the planets, or excuse me, how the continents moved. But about forty years later, or a while later, they came up with continental with uh, what do they call it? Plate tectonics. Right. Oh, so it takes it takes about a generation for us to kind of find out, if you will. When you say you when you say we'll never know, no, I don't think that's true. So uh, what we need in Egyptology right now to, to get to the truth is more funerals. Mm. And then if we can have more funerals in Egyptology, <laughs> then maybe this next generation will be better. But Egyptology is stagnated. They, they yeah. are hooked, hooked up with the tomb idea and robbing. They still are robbing graves, you know, just loving it. Well, it, it makes for a good story, and at the end of the day, it, it makes for good tourism uh, stories. It, makes it does. It mysterious. It does, but I, you know, I'm not a tour guide. I am a <laughs> uh, researcher, 
so I have a different different motivation. But uh, I on my YouTube channel, I have well, you can go to the link is on my website. Uh, I have a video about is Egyptology a pseudoscience, mm. and I've gotten quite a bit of interest from that. So I hope people uh, people watch that. Now, is there another book in the works? There is. I I've uh, got the two books, and I you know as a book author and a researcher, you know you you keep researching, and then yeah. you and yeah. then pretty soon you get in front of the computer and you start typing away, and uh, so I'm uh, I'm uh, working uh, working on another book on the same subject. You know, I'm a one trick pony, if you will. <laughs> so uh, it'll be more more about uh, the Great Pyramid. And, uh, the water pump and all of that. So it'll be a little bit more in depth and more information, but uh, there's a whole body of research uh, with books, documentaries and everything. So I just hope people get familiar with uh, this direction of research before they pass judgment. So, and, uh, you know, certainly question the science or yeah. what people tell you. And that includes question Egyptologists. So, uh, <laughs> So I hope that's what people do. Now, with the great uh, Sphinx that is right next to the Great Pyramid, um, do you think it, uh, the Great Sphinx uh, was done? Because I'm not sure if you answered it before or not, so I'm going to bring it back or bring it up. Do you think it was done um, it, uh, before that Great Pyramid or after the Great Pyramid? Well, it's hard to say. Again, Egyptologists think that they were all contemporary of one another, the constructions within several generations. But the brilliant research of Dr. Robert Schock, who is a geologist, Mm -hmm. uh, his uh, study of water erosion on the Sphinx and its enclosure indicates that it was much older. But Mm -hmm. the, the comparing the age of the two, the Great Pyramid and the Sphinx, is quite difficult. Yeah, it's very tough. That's why that's why I was wondering because uh, there's been so many different uh, you know dates given to when they were constructed from each other uh, over the last hundred years. You know, just last hundred years. Uh, mm-hmm. But they're both in still great shape considering how old they are. They um, are. Uh, the Sphinx and it looks like it may have been recarved. You know, put mm-hmm. a different head on it, if you will because the head is so much smaller uh, and out of proportion than the body. So it may have been recarved several times. It may have been a, uh, like a lion, the entire thing. And then a Pharaoh mm-hmm. wanted to say, well, I want my face up there. And yeah. And uh, so, so it's hard to say um, it would change uh, certainly what it originally looked like. So it's all very interesting. What happened? You know what gets me about the uh, Sphinx, and I'm going to kind of go on the goofy side here for a second. Uh, you ever seen the cartoon Thundercats? I haven't. I'm an older guy, so I'm not up on everything like I should be. <laughs> well, it's an 80s cartoon uh, about aliens that land on Earth that all look like cats, but they're mm-hmm. human, human, you know, being kind of humanoid, I should say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their construction of where they live looks like the Sphinx, but with a cat's face. And, oh, wow. Yeah, it's very similar looking uh, construction. Uh, they have mummies, you know, pyramids, all kinds of things in there um, as well. 
And, you know, we've always wondered if uh, maybe TV, cartoons, movies uh, kind of take its and pieces and bits and pieces from what it might have been a reality back, you know, centuries ago or hundreds of millions of years ago. Uh, you know, you never know. Maybe the Thundercats were real. I mean, Egyptians love their kitties and their cats. <laughs> oh, they do. Yeah, a lot of uh, embalmed cats, and they worshipped yeah. them. They worshipped them kind of as a god. But the cats kept the mice population at bay. And yeah. The mice, yeah. the mice carried the bubonic plague. Correct. Yeah. So the cats, uh, you know, kept kept the people from having a plague. So no wonder they were worshipped. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I'll have to. I'll have to watch that Thundercats. You know, I I watch a lot of crazy stuff. I know the <laughs> Simpsons, the TV show, the Simpsons are quite known yep. for predicting the future or having some sort of a sixth sense on on yep. things. And and that's an interesting subject. One of my daughters is kind of an expert in that uh, phenomenon, if you will, and it's it's quite interesting. It's pretty freaky, isn't it? I mean, I saw one uh, one episode when they had uh, Trump coming down this, the mm-hmm. uh, staircase. I don't know if you've seen that one. Oh, yeah. Uh, where the person is like, who's holding a sign falls mm-hmm. on, the, on the Simpsons. It happened in real life just like that. Yeah, strange. There's a whole right. host of other things. Uh, the uh, Notre Dame burning down. Yeah. And, and just a whole, you know, I'm not an expert on that, but it's... Uh, that's that's a lot of coincidences, you know. So it's yeah. it's interesting. I don't know. I don't know. I can't explain it. Uh, often I wonder if maybe uh, you know our modern day authors and uh, people that, that put in TV uh, shows like The Simpsons or movies like Star Wars and Star Trek, or maybe just uh, you know you know telling us about information that they've been given uh, about our history. That's a possibility. Sometimes fiction, if you will, is truer than truth. Yeah. And, uh, you know, sometimes it comes true in a fascinating uh, reality. Like there was a book uh, about the uh, Titanic. It wasn't about Mm. the Titanic, but it was about another another ship and talked about how it uh, sank on its maiden voyage in written before all of this happened. So. You wonder if some people have a have or have a pulse on uh, the future better than the rest of us. You know that it wouldn't that be something, huh? It, it maybe one if the Thundercats were actually real one uh, one time, long time ago, and they're the ones that built the pyramids. <laughs> yeah, well, I know that uh, Egypt would make a really good uh, cat box with all that sand. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> That's what happened all the water got drowned by the poo. <laughs> the <cat> poo. <laughs> oh man, that's crazy. So the the new book you're deep into writing this thing. Uh any chances that uh you you might write uh, eventually a book on uh, the other pyramids and uh, their uh, or anything other than the pyramids in general? I might uh, I've certainly got some other interests and experiences besides uh, the pyramids, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, possibly. But uh, you know, I'm I'm what they call instead of a multitasker, I'm a monotasker. So I have you know, 
I uh, to to get something done, I uh, you have to you have to actually do do it to the exclusion of other things. I have a brother who uh, he's a multitasker, but sometimes all the things that he's doing doesn't get done, the projects and and that type of thing. So uh, right. So, uh, but yeah, I'm wor- I'm working on this, and we'll see what happens uh, afterwards. But uh, again, the two books, two documentaries, the uh, talk shows. Uh, we we were planning a trip to Egypt. I was co-leading the trip with another researcher, Barbara mm. Jean Lindsay, who uh, is a pretty sharp uh, person. She's written a number of books. Her website is at barbarajeanlindsay.com. She has a talk show on every friday but uh covid hit and we had mm. to cancel our tour so hopefully we can reschedule that it'd be yeah uh, quite exclusive if you will with about 20 people or so and we uh, we're gonna you know float down the nile and go visit all the sites and uh, i think a two-week tour uh, there's a link to it on my website just to give people an idea of what it'll be like when we reschedule that. So hopefully uh, that'll happen in the future. So there's a lot, a lot going on. Now events, uh, that's something definitely that I think uh, will be a, a good outlet for, uh, you know, something like this. But I mean, for those out there who are, are looking at this and are, and are thinking, man, uh, you know, this definitely will not get you uh, chicks if you're in college. Uh, if you're uh, into the subject, <laughs> when you first uh, started working on this thing, uh, was it hard to like explain to your parents and to your uh, family members that this is the uh, career you wanted to uh, proceed in? Well, uh, I had children at home, and uh, <laughs> so I would do research with my face stuck in the computer screen or in a book. <laughs> And uh, so that kind of took me away from them some, but yeah. I have a very, I have a very supporting wife. She's certainly not a researcher, but she supports me. So uh, what a blessing. And she's been yeah. in with me and all of that. So uh, I get a lot of support from that. And certainly some family members who hear about it every Thanksgiving and every time we get together, you know, uh, a lot of those people are just regular folks with, you know, like jobs in shipyards or car mechanics. But they say a lot of them say that the research is quite compelling about how the stones were moved and uh, set in place and the purpose the Great Pyramid provided. So, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of support except from the academic community. Yeah, and how, how hard is it to actually get the academic community to, uh, you know, at least pay attention to some of this stuff? I mean, has there been really, like, uh, well, for lack of a better term, uh, draining water from a desert? <laughs> well, uh, the Egyptology, certainly, uh, there's a wall of silence. They won't even say that I'm wrong. They won't even acknowledge right. I, I exist or anything. But, uh, you know, they're entrenched into their own dogma and uh you know that uh, that's their business but Mm. uh other people you know people that actually do something like a what like welders or car mechanics people that work in shipyards or uh on ships if you will those type of people that uh, might have blisters on their hands but but know how how things work in the real world 
They say that the uh, explanation is compelling. They watch my DVD series on our website that you can watch for free, a video series, and and, and you know it makes sense. You know they are nodding their heads. So from regular people, there is a lot of support. Doing lots of talk shows, there's a lot of interest. But in in the academic community, um, no. What if uh, just 30 years after the Piltdown skull was discovered, I said it was a forgery. Oh, boy. Mm. Oh, no, we can't have that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but science, science is really interesting. It's, it's often self-correcting, if you will. Yep. Um, there was the science of phrenology, which mm. was taught in universities not that long ago. I'm almost mm-hmm. old enough to have gone to uh, classes in college about phrenology, which is the correlation between the bumps on people's heads <laughs> and character traits. And we've all seen the uh, usually made out of uh, porcelain, the the bust with all yeah. the marks on the head, you know, of, mm-hmm. like here's where fear is and, and intelligence and all of that. And that was a science. But it could not withstand the rigors of the scientific method. It uh, uh, failed because it, uh, well, it was wrong and it went away. They don't teach that in universities anymore. So uh, Egyptology is facing the same fate. They just say, they just come up with stuff. But, uh, you know, this is a real world thing. They tell you how massive stones are moved from point A to point B. But then they can't demonstrate the method that they say it was done. Uh, you know, they can't they can't move a 70 ton payload one inch. Right. Those 70 ton payloads came down from quarries 400 miles upstream, which would be south on the map down to the building site. So Egyptologists can't move a 70 ton payload on or off of a barge, but they say, oh, right. people did it, you know, but uh, you can, you, and then they'll, they might point to a hieroglyph or uh, something, you know, who knows. Right, right. But you can also read about cows jumping over the moon. Yeah. You know, you can read about it in literature yeah. and everything else, but people don't believe cows jump over the moon because it can't be substantiated with a demonstration. Right. But I, I don't know how Egyptology <laughs> can get away with it. You know, you, you know, you can't even force them to engage in the scientific method. Stephen, the, 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 the saying goes, uh, ignorance is bliss. <laughs> well, I don't know how ignorant they are, but they sure, they sure uh, maintain the company line, if you will. You know, my professor told me it was the strong back muscles. So that's what I'm telling my students, you know, and it's just just sad, but it it won't last forever. You know, I don't know anyone past the eighth grade that's kind of looked into this a little bit Mm -hmm. that believes Egyptologists uh, story about the uh, precision stone cutting uh, accomplished by hand. I mean, they can interpret hieroglyphs or tell you what uh you know about the golden mass they took out of mm-hmm. a grave or whatever but this is a real world thing an engineering issue not not just hocus pocus so it's uh <laughs> it's it's egyptology is going to change but i think it will actually uh uh 
uh, is in crisis and will go away and something will replace it. You know, if we could get to the bottom of not only how it was built and what it was for, uh, but how it worked and we could duplicate it, the, the, you know, the massive good that it could probably do for our people now uh, could be substantial. If, it, if it's still something that could be put to use, uh, maybe to bring water to that area. Oh, correct. Uh, we think that this ancient high technology can be redeveloped in our modern but very troubled world mm-hmm. to help uh, in in a host of ways. Certainly irrigation, mm-hmm. but also in the generation of electricity. It can be decentralized so we don't have to pay a monthly electric bill every month. You know, it's like people that invest in wind power, if you will, like on farms. And mm-hmm. you can have electricity, but also not pay an electric bill. So we think there's a lot of potential. It's going to take quite a bit to redevelop this ancient technology. And there's there's a lot to it on a technical level. But it can be when it's redeveloped, we can use polypropylene containers, PVC pipe, custom valves, and a few other things. And, and uh, make it a cottage industry for third world countries a rural yeah. America and a whole host of other things. So uh, we have a nonprofit foundation at our website and we're doing the best we can with the resources that we have. Now, let me ask you, going out to like just the forties, uh, you know, Nikola Tesla was working on uh, uh, electricity that for all intents and purposes uh, were, was wireless. Um, do you think maybe some of this research might be able to blend into uh, some of your scientific research when it comes to the Great Pyramid? Uh, that's a great question. I do. I think that uh, Nikola Tesla was a profound genius yep. that did much of his research in the 1940s. Mm-hmm. And I think that in ancient times, there was probably a profound genius like a Nikola Tesla or a Victor Schrauberger, another guy that you might have heard of. Yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, and a few other guys, and uh, with their uh, profound wisdom of the physical world, that uh, they developed this uh, ancient technology, and hopefully, hopefully, we can do the same. Um, Microwave ovens were first built in the 1930s, but they didn't they didn't become a product for the home Mm -hmm. for you know 50 years. So all of this takes time. You know, and again, with the resources that we have, we're doing uh, we're doing what we can. We have a small facility. We've made some components and subassemblies. Uh, Einstein came up with the uh, theory of relativity mm-hmm. in uh, 1903. You know, a, right. a patent clerk. You know, and he liked math, obviously. Well, yeah. it wasn't until the mid 1940s that a product was developed from his research, the atomic Mm. bomb. Right. And it took, you know, 40 years for the development of that product. And because of the war effort, the uh, Manhattan Project that developed the atomic bomb had a, uh, (laughs) you know, what type of funding they had? It was unlimited. Yeah. Well, the government funding. Yeah, for the Uh, war effort. There was a shortage of copper, so yeah. instead of using copper, they used silver for like, mm. you know, why? Who? Don't matter. You know, the cost doesn't matter. 
but our budget, right. you know, we, we don't really have any funders, if you will, uh, or like a angel investor or, you know, like someone like a Bill Gates or the Amazon guy, Jeff Bezos or anything mm -hmm. like that. We're just just some guys that are trying to uh, understand the genius of of the ancient civilization that built the Great Pyramid and and build something using that technology to help our modern world. We certainly need an alternative energy source than uh, nuclear power plants. Oh man, it's scary over there in uh, Ukraine mm. with wars where nuclear power plants are. That's spooky. Or oil or uh, natural gas, you know, all of that environmental impact is tremendous, yeah. unbelievable. Ask them down in the Gulf Coast, is there an environmental impact with oil? You know, every so often they have a big oil spill. Mm -hmm. even, even hydroelectric dams have tremendously adverse uh, environmental impact. The Columbia River here on the West Coast, and now it's just a series of stepped lakes with all these dams. I don't know, 20 of them or so. I haven't counted them. But, uh, you know, it's not a river anymore. You know, it's the salmon are devastated, makes a lot of electricity. But um, and they use that to pump water. You know, they've turned central and eastern Washington uh, into a garden, if you will. It used to be a yeah. desert from the Grand Coulee Dam, the biggest dam in the world when built on the Columbia River. And that dam. Uh, pumps water and irrigates uh, like a million acres or more in perpetuity. So big cost to build the Grand Coulee Dam, my favorite dam. Uh, oh, have, yeah. Huge return on investment. <laughs> you know, I had a, a question earlier about uh, about what we were going to talk about, and then they asked me, they particularly asked you, and I just remembered, uh, if the Great Pyramid was built in a time when uh, this area was full of water and, you know, full of whatever you know, that they might have been pumping. Uh, is it possible that some of this uh, water uh, was taken uh, by beings to maybe use on, on other worlds? Uh, because there's such uh, an abundance of water in that area. And I was like, I don't think that's a question for Stephen, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Well, but it, yeah. it's still, yeah, it makes for an interesting so. story. Yeah, I don't think that they water was such a resource that they had to come from yeah. Alpha Centauri to build a stone pyramid <laughs> for some for some reason to pump water up a few hundred feet and then take that pumped water <laughs> back. So no, I don't think so. Uh, I think yeah. I think ancient people were geniuses who wanted to yeah. eat every day and built the Great Pyramid. So. Uh, it's interesting. If you think if you think about the dams in the, uh, the in the United States here that were built in the 1930s, you know, yeah. public works projects funded by the government. But what the government did was they borrowed money to pay for the dam, and it was paid off by the uh, the uh, generated electricity that they sold. So that was that's the funding procedure. And, um, you know, and it worked marvelous, you know, it's uh, a marvelous thing. So I think the Great Pyramid 
was such was a similar marvelous thing in that it again provided prosperity for the civilization that built it it didn't they didn't the original builders didn't build us to tell us they knew pi or yeah. anything <laughs> like that you know that's a pretty small return on investment but it, it is a marvel that uh it, it is so mathematically on point uh with a lot of things uh you know the the way it, it is mathematically uh in Tacked with the way the stars move and all kinds of different things. That's that's a uh, that's certainly an idea about uh, some relationship between the Great Pyramid and stars, but I yeah. think I think that's incorrect. Uh, earlier, not long ago, there was a correlation theory between the Great Pyramid and the Holy Bible. You know, the Great Pyramid. Mm. If you if you use the math and point to stuff. The Great Pyramid supposedly predicted the birthplace of Jesus, and it confirmed Bible prophecy with the pyramid inch and all of that. So the, the Great Pyramid, according to this theory, based on precise correlations, uh, confirmed the Bible and that the Great Pyramid was the Bible in stone. People can... Mm. But that theory has been rejected because uh, these correlations that are precise that they made up, but uh, there's no causation to associate the two things together. They are uh, derived using some invalid research methods. And these, let's say the Orion correlation theory that talks about the stars and all of this stuff uh, uses some of the same flawed research methods as does the uh, biblical correlation theory. And uh, those flawed research methods are going to be what uh, makes that theory uh, in crisis. Let me give you an example. Here's a quote from the book, The Stargate Conspiracy. Okay, it's another okay. book about all this stuff. The author says, however, some of Baval's assumptions are open to question. For example, he presents a very circular argument that uses the stellar alignments of the shafts to prove the date of the Great Pyramid, but also relies on this date to prove that the shafts have stellar alignments. This is classic circular reasoning. So the, the, the foundation of flawed research methods used by the Orion correlation theory is what's going to make it meet the same fate as the biblical correlation theory precision and math in in the realm of legitimate academic research isn't what validates a correlation i can give you a host of examples uh the beetles i like the beetles there's four beetles and the great pyramid has four sides mm -hmm. so that there's a mathematical precision to that correlation and uh, you know you can cherry pick two data points to come up with with a precise correlation, but that doesn't validate it. So uh, mm. a lot of other correlation people that are into that do that. Um, the vents on the, on the Great Pyramid don't point to those stars. Every 72 years, the sky moves one degree because right. of the grand procession. So the stars point away from those vents by quite a ways. 
So we have two data points, the, the advance point up and the, the advance point away from those stars. So we can interpret those two data points and say, well, they were systematically and symbolically telling us that the Great Pyramid has nothing to do with those stars because the vents don't point towards them. Mm, then they say, yeah. well, they, they used to point to those stars. Well, the vents of the Great Pyramid used to point to a thousand different stars. Right. I was just going to mention that. I mean, I, they're going to come up with that as a quick uh, comeback. Well, at one point when they were building it. Right. It pointed so, to, yeah. Yeah. If, if used to pointing to a star is what makes it significant, then it used to point to many stars. But then right. they say, well, uh, the Egyptians were a religious civilization. They built the Great Pyramid, so it's a religious structure. In the 1930s, they built the Hoover Dam. And back mm -hmm. then, people went to church. So it's a religious civilization that built a big structure. Yet, right. the, the Hoover Dam is not a religious structure. Correct, yeah. You know, I, I, I followed on... Oh, good thing, so I'll, I'll ask in a second here. So, so a lot of that, the research methods become very uh, muddled, if you will. And it's not... Mm -hmm not done very well the the orion correlation theory a lot of cherry picking of data points certainly correlations without causation uh that type of thing so uh you know it's uh theory correlation theories come and go phrenology was a correlation theory but uh devised using some poor research methods a yeah. lot of a lot of people get triggered when i talk about that but uh yeah. People that, are, that believe the Orion correlation theory have a hard time talking about research methods. Real researchers, okay, real researchers study two things. Whatever the subject they're studying, they study that. But, but before that, they study how to conduct research. They study right. the method to conduct research. And they try to guard themselves from using these flawed research methods and guard against that. So, uh, but, uh, you know, with the Great Pyramid, you know, just anyone can come up with something and make a make a star chart or whatever. All hydroelectric dams around the world have vents that point to stars. Yeah. That's Isn't true. that interesting? If something, yeah, that's, yeah. if it's not horizontal, if, it, if it's like this, it points to a star. But, yeah, yeah. you know, the uh, spikes on the Statue of Liberty, they all point to stars. Right. But it doesn't mean anything. Other than yeah. it's just I mean, you just, yeah. just make this stuff up. The Empire built Empire State Building points to a star. But what, Correct, what, yeah. what causation validates some sort of a star Empire State Building correlation? There isn't any. So, uh, you know, right. they, they make up stuff. Or they say, well, the three... If you pick out just the three big pyramids, <laughs> don't don't talk about the other ones. And then it looks like uh, the three stars in the Milky Way or whatever in Orion. But right. uh, just because something looks like something doesn't mean that there's a causal relationship between the two. Just yesterday, I saw a cloud that looked like a puppy dog. 
Yeah, I've well, seen puppy dogs. <laughs> puppy dogs didn't evolve to look like that cloud, right. and that cloud didn't form itself to look like that uh, that uh, dog. So yeah, they look like each other, but there's no re- no real intended relationship. But uh, then then they say, well, they worshipped Orion. Really? Well, then, is there a feature specific to the Great Pyramid that indicates the original builders intended a relationship between the Great Pyramid and Orion? And then they say, well, if you take the three, the three pyramids, the other pyramids are not features specific to the Great Pyramid. Or they say, well, if you look at the Book of the Dead, Book of the Dead is not has not is not a feature specific to the Great Pyramid. Right. So they do some shucking and jiving with the evidence and make some very tenuous, uh, uh, sometimes incoherent connections between the cherry-picked data points and then come up with this stuff. So all all false correlations are precise. That's that's a good thing to know if you want to be a researcher. So. Yeah. So uh, you know, yeah, I'm not a proponent of of that. Plus, it's a very small return on investment. Yeah, you know, because yeah. we we could do that. Uh, you you and me, uh, you know, if everyone in in North America, United States, Canada, and um, Mexico, let's say we all pony up six hundred bucks. Let's all let's all pay six hundred bucks. That would fund building a big pyramid that system that symbolically pulled us something or pointed to something we could build a great big yeah. one probably take 40 billion dollars to build not a very big return on investment the reason no, why uh, we don't do that is because the return on investment is so small that it would be stupid yeah well okay. we have no money nowadays in the uh administration we have currently what's another 40 billion dollars i mean we're talking about trillions of dollars here well Write your check for six hundred. We can get everyone to do it. You know, it's, it's you know, it would be a stupid idea and a stupid yeah. project with a small return on investment. Building the Great Correct. Pyramid in ancient times to point to something is a stupid idea with yeah. a small return on investment that the ancient geniuses did not do. Yeah, no, I completely agree there. You know, my show is followed by the uh, the Man Martian, uh, the Mars Reviewer. Yeah, Gary, get on his Gary show. Yeah, uh, he puts on a great show, and he has uh, some interesting stuff that he talks about. What, what's your thought on pyramids found on Mars and other planets like that? Well, they're big at the bottom and small at the top, and they're kind of like mountains that are big at the bottom and small mm-hmm. at the top. But unlike pyramids, mountains have ears. <laughs> Mountaineers, get it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I had to tell my joke. Uh, it's interesting. <laughs> there are. Uh, I'll give you. I'll give you the symbol. Dun, dun, <laughs> yeah, thank you. I'll be here all week. Um, but uh, you know, uh, yeah, they're, they're, it's interesting. I now, now to me, it would be worth forty billion dollars to go research that and find out. Yeah. Now that that to me would be a big enough return on investment, and hopefully, when we found out, it would be uh, that information would be available to us peons. But uh, it's interesting. But, you know, all I know is, uh, you know, looking at a few fuzzy pictures and, you know, it's I have to 
withhold judgment until I find out more about uh, the pyramids on Mars. But it's interesting. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny because I look at a lot of the photos uh, that come from uh, the Mars rover, the Mars, uh, you know, over the last 20, 30 years. And, it, you know, when I look at them, there's some that are fuzzy enough that, yeah, you can see a, a structure. But then when you get a clearer shot, a lot of times it's not what you originally saw. Uh, because of the technology that we were using at that time compared to modern technology, as it's gotten better, things have gotten clearer to see, and you lose some of that attraction um, that you know, you would have. Like, for example, when they first saw the face on Mars, the original one, right? Mm-hmm. It looked like a humanoid face. I mean, it legitimately it looked like a humanoid face. Mm-hmm. But then when you saw the follow-up photo, you know, decades later, it looked like a cat litter box. It didn't really have like. You know. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So uh, I'm withholding judgment. It's certainly interesting, and I think it's well worth additional research, even in the billions of dollars uh, of cost. So I think it would be worth it. I would rather do that than spend billions of dollars fighting the Afghanistan's. Like yeah. No kidding. Our country did, you know, for 20 years. What a waste! What a waste of money. Yeah. What a waste of everything. How sad that was when when we could have helped people. So, uh, yeah. The worst, the worst part about that is all the lives lost. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, it's terrible. You know, it's too bad. Too bad I couldn't have had a one one hundred thousandth of that for uh, funding uh, for our mm. research. But we have a yeah. small facility and we're doing the best we can, you know, uh, Large-scale fabrication is expensive, and uh, so we're we're trying to do what we can do to redevelop this ancient technology. Sometimes it takes generations, I'm finding out. You know, I'm getting older every day, but uh, mm-hmm. but like 9-11, you know, 300,000 you know, 3, people died on 9-11, but twice yeah. as many people every day die because... They don't have clean water to drink, and they can't irrigate their crops. So yep. we're we're a humanitarian organization trying to uh, trying to help, you know. But you know, we'll we'll see. It's it's a long process. Let me put it that way. Now, I want you to give the audience listening and those watching uh, later on um, a way to help. Like, what's one way to get to you guys? So they can you know maybe. Not only just chipping money, but resources and other things oh, yeah. that might come and help. Oh well, a good a good way to help would be to go to our website and see what we're about. We have uh, you know a lot of information, both uh, the YouTube channel, the link to our Facebook page. We have a lot of fun there. Uh, you know everything from making memes to getting in big arguments with people. <laughs> so all that's. Uh, fun, but uh, if they want to help us, uh, put a link from from their website to our website. You know, that's that's not going to break the bank. Or they could interlibrary loan my books, or even buy buy them from Amazon. You can get them as eBooks and be reading them uh, instantly. Uh, that would help to find out about the research. Or you could uh, donate one of my books or both to your local library. And uh, that type of thing to help spread the word. Spreading the word is probably the, is most important. Uh, pray for key. us. Yeah, we accept prayer. 
you know, and <laughs> uh, just uh, pray for us and possibly uh, send an email and find out uh, what we're about or find out our uh, upcoming events or um, help us with our tour or, or you could donate materials, that type of thing. Or we are looking for a plasma cutter. So, uh, you know, it's a welding thing, but for fabrication. And a uh, 3D printer, you know, if you uh, have a know of or want to buy us a 3D printer, go go for that for, uh, mm. you know, our research facility. But there's a lot of things, but mainly just spreading the word. If you, if you get on Facebook, say, hey, this guy here thinks the Great Pyramid actually helped people. And then put our, put our website or the link to this uh, interview, the podcast for this interview, you know, do yeah. that. Talk, talk it up a little bit. So, um I know that there was a website called Above Top Secret where mm-hmm. all everyone would go and all that, but uh, they wouldn't let me on it because I wrote a book. So uh, as a researcher and a book author, if I talk about my area of expertise, well, if my book is ever mentioned, then they they censor me. So I was mm. unable to be on there. You know, all the righteous keyboard warriors would... Uh, would uh, be involved in censorship. So I, I couldn't participate. Wow. But other people, you know, could uh, maybe say, hey, a book. But I think that website's down for some reason. Yeah, so, I don't think they're, they're around anymore, to be honest. Yeah, you know, yeah. so may, maybe, uh, you know, I think good riddance to them. I couldn't use it. <laughs> so, but I, yeah. You've been on a coast, coast to coast? I have a couple times. I've been on coast yeah. to coast. And uh, virtually everybody, I did one with some people in over in England and mm. another guy in Australia earlier this week. So the, the interest is high and we're getting, getting the word out. But, uh, for most people it's new, it's a new idea. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It pumped water. Well, don't they have the yearly flood? Mm. Well in the, okay. Now we've got to talk about the real world. The largest water pump in the world is in the Valley of the Nile. It's the Mubarak right. pumping station, yeah. and uh, so yeah, they and they. Uh, why would they? Why would they do that? Just the river's right there. Well, the water in the river is worthless for irrigation. You got to get it out of the river and up on the land. So uh, you know, people. A lot of people aren't technically inclined, or but but it's uh, there's a lot to think about, a lot to unlearn. Mm-hmm. You know, and another problem with our research is that it's quite technical, you know, and a lot of people now have a hard time lifting the hood of their car, figuring out yeah. how to do that. But they still think they're technological wizards yeah. because <laughs> they can put an app on their phone or whatever, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so well, like you say, we're digressing in our understanding. But, uh, or, you know, a lot of people... Uh, you know, I, People under 30, can, a lot of times, can accept a new idea better than people over 30. So, uh, yeah. But uh, contact us if you have a question. Let us know and, and pray for us. Uh, put a link on your website. Uh, talk us up a little bit. And there's a lot of a lot of proponents, but there's detractors as well. Well, yeah. one guy says, uh, we think that those large barges were used how do they get those large barges through the water locks? They can't do it. So I've debunked him. Well, no, there's there's a whole bunch to everything. I mean, it's a quite a process. Watch our video series on our website and learn about what this research is all about. And it'll 
it'll give honor and glory to the original builders. And not, uh, only, not only that, they forget that this was done a long time ago, Steve. Yeah. I mean, this. I mean, we're talking about a very, very long time ago. Long not in the galaxy far, far away, right here on Earth, but it was a long time ago when things look completely different than they do now. I think people miss that part of, of the equation where they still you know, think that everything looked the same then than it does now, and they couldn't do it now, so they yeah. could never do it then. Um, no, I mean, you know, the way things looked then, uh, it's like night and day in that area. It is. It was a long time ago, and it has suffered the from the hands of man for yeah. at least 40 centuries, and, you know, it's been damaged quite a bit, but it's still... Yeah. A, an out-of-place artifact, you know, ultra-modern yes. in a lot of ways, but from distant antiquity. So it's it's uh, fascinating. More books have been written on the Great Pyramid uh, than any it. other structure on Earth. So yeah. uh, <laughs> it has, uh, you know, uh, generated the awe and wonder from, from uh, researchers since the beginning of time. Yeah, so, uh, I think the only thing uh, that compares and when it comes to literature is like the Bible. True, true. But yeah. pe people say, well, the Bible mentioned giants, so uh, giants built the Great Pyramid. Well, the, the Bible also mentions dwarfs. It mentions right. prostitutes, you know, and it mentions lepers. So just because something is mentioned in the Bible doesn't mean that it was how the Great Pyramid was built. Uh, but people think, well, it must have been giants because the payloads were so big. You know, the rocks are beyond human scale, if you will. Oh, well, then it must have been giants because they had big back muscles. No. In the 1830s, they moved 70-ton payloads through uh, water locks. You mm -hmm. know, canals, they moved them and they lifted them in water locks. So... No, it's. It, I don't think it was uh, some giants that, for some reason, needed a big pile of rocks. Well, I mean, you don't know there might have been giants, but yeah, no, I'm with you on, on that. I think, uh, uh, I think it was just humanoid uh, beings that lived, you know, that long ago. Uh, you know, around our height. I don't think they're much taller than we are today. Right. Oh, I, I definitely believe there were giants, but they were right. probably too smart to build the Great Pyramid. <laughs> Perhaps. You know, they, they, let, they let the little guys do it, do all the work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Us>. <laughs> the, the, the hive slaves, uh, if you will. Now, the website, of course, is thepump.org. That's uh, where they can uh, look up all the research on here. Uh, man, uh, Stephen, uh, uh, fascinating work. And I know that uh, my friend Gary is going to be like, you know what? Ancient aliens from Mars build them. And that's the fact. <laughs> yeah, he's, and I'm he's a smart to... guy, and, and he's fun to be on his show. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> he's, a, he's a good dude. Uh, uh, fascinating uh, you know, time having you on here, Stephen. Thank you all for joining me. And I wanted to, uh, again, uh, tell everybody listening, um, if you can, you know, make a dent in that piggy bank and help out, you know, by all means, uh, you know, help the men and uh, let's see how much further we get, uh, you know, get the research going. Because I would love to see, you know, one day you be validated for all your hard work. Uh, and I definitely want to get the uh, the third book and uh, put it in my library here. Um, I have the first book. 
don't have the second book yet, but I, I want to see you uh, get to the third book and, and finish it so I can uh, get to those two and uh, put it in my library of my ever expanding library. I got so many books. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's always it's always good to encounter someone who reads books. That's, that's yeah. what the revolution looks like. It's not breaking out windows or burning downtown Portland, Oregon up. But the revolution oh, is in reading books. So I appreciate I, that. How did you manage that, by the way, uh, you know, with all that was happening in 2020? Well, it was, they were they were doing it for, it seemed like, almost a year yeah. uh, downtown Portland. But I live in southern Oregon. You know, it's like two different worlds. Yeah. You know, very, yeah. very rural. You know, it's uh, several hundred miles away. It's like five hours of driving to Portland. So, uh yeah, we're completely, we're in just small town America where normal people live instead of up there. And it's, like I say, it's it's crazy in Portland. I mean, I have a buddy, well, I had a buddy of mine named uh, Jesse who lived up in uh, Portland, Oregon. And uh, he's, I, I'm sure he still lives up there. And uh, he would... Uh, often go at night when the whole thing was happening and uh, he was following uh portland uh i think the guy's name was portland andy or andy from portland or something like that on youtube and uh he was showing me like you know on his skype on his phone the stuff that was going on out there and it was uh it was just crazy some of the yeah. stuff was happening yeah it's just chaos and uh anarchy and wrong in in every sense of the word you know and it's just shop owners trying to make it type of thing you know it was just terrible uh seattle had a similar problem so uh it's just unreal you know and it's everything about it was bad you know they need to go home and read a book don't don't do all that yeah no kidding (laughs) (laughs) again the pump.org is the website and uh man again a fascinating uh couple of hours here with you uh steven and look forward to talking again soon and bring you back on the show well thank you so much angel it's been an honor and a pleasure and hopefully we can do it again sometime definitely don't be a stranger i won't it's a pleasure catching up with you steven thank you so much for being here okay thank you bye